It is a great joy <coughs> to be here with you, and um, thank you for making this investment in your marriages. I have been praying for this retreat, that God would meet with each couple that is here, and that there would be lasting change and fruit that would result from this, this time together. Uh, I want to ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, and I want to give you a heads up and tell you about something that's going to happen as you return from this marriage retreat to normal life. And that is that whatever growth and transformation does happen during this time, and we pray that that growth is notable, um, your spouse is going to fail to apply some of what has been taught. All right? I just want to give you that as, as a heads up. He or she will not always... Uh, look to your interests and consider you more significant. So if it's the, you know, the mind of Christ up here, your spouse is somewhere beneath that. Um, your spouse will say words that are not exactly apples of gold in settings of silver and words that will fail to give grace to those who hear. Um, you will observe things that you'll think, which one of the five tools that Rob gave us is this, because I don't recognize it among <laughs> those tools. Your spouse will not always pursue you as they ought. And here's something else, all right, even more shocking. Brace yourself for this. You yourself will fail to apply some of what you have been taught. And so it's for this reason that there is a tremendous need to consider this theme of gospel-shaped forgiveness. Um, I am uh, married. My wife is Megan. Yesterday, we celebrated 22 years of marriage, and we have learned a lot and continue to learn a lot. It's why I'm encouraged that you're here. We never outgrow the need to invest in our marriages. And over the years, we, we have had to learn that we are on the same team and to not adopt an adversarial posture toward each other. Uh, we have had to learn to be much quicker to seek help and counsel from others, meaning getting in the car, driving, and sitting down with another couple and saying, we need help. Um, and perhaps more than anything else, uh, we have had to learn to be merciful with each other in marriage and to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. I want us to consider together this theme of forgiveness and apply this in our marriages. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. Jesus has just taught on the theme of a brother sinning against you. He's been teaching on relationships and forgiveness throughout this section. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often... Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master 
of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. May God bless the preaching of his word. One of the beautiful scenes in the musical Hamilton is a scene that shows the beauty and the power of forgiveness in marriage. Alexander Hamilton and Eliza had fallen in love when they met. She sings that she is helpless in his presence. Her character is uh, faithful and gentle, which makes Hamilton's infidelity all the more terrible. And then, if you've seen it, instead of confessing his sin to his wife, he wrote the Reynolds pamphlet, which was basically the equivalent of an Instagram post that went viral. And that brought even more damage and shame to them. And so their marriage is in shambles. Uh, Eliza has grounds for divorce. They are both devastated. They had also just lost their son. And so this was uh, the low point in Hamilton's life. And one of the fascinating things about the story is while Aaron Burr grows increasingly bitter toward Hamilton, Eliza stands as a contrast to that. And in the midst of processing her grief and pain, the grief and pain of being sinned against, there's a beautiful scene during the song, It's Quiet Uptown, where Eliza takes her husband's hand and we hear it sung, forgiveness, can you imagine? Can you imagine someone who suffers such betrayal and sin and loss and humiliation and responds with forgiveness? Can you imagine a path other than the path of bitterness and the path of resentment? It is the beauty and the power of forgiveness in marriage. When I watched that scene, I immediately thought of the names and faces of people that I know, some of them dear friends of mine, who have demonstrated remarkable, heroic, almost unimaginable forgiveness in the face of their spouse's sin. If we had time, I could share stories involving imprisonment and drug use and repeated relapse and adultery and years and even decades of lying and more. And I have seen forgiveness 
including, in numerous cases, restored marriages. So there's a distinction that needs to be made at the outset. In these more extreme situations, pastoral counsel always needs to be sought because forgiveness does not always mean the absence of consequences or automatically returning to the spouse. It certainly doesn't mean that, for example, in cases of abuse. But here's something that I realized in thinking about this theme of forgiveness and thinking about these sort of heroes who have forgiven in ways that I can scarcely imagine. Sometimes when we think about forgiveness, we think of the extreme. We think of the extraordinary. And some of us may be called to forgive in some of those extraordinary and profound ways. For most of us, the far greater challenge and the call of God to us will be to forgive what C.S. Lewis calls the incessant provocations of daily life. That's what we're talking about. Forgiving not just on a large scale, though it includes that, but also the incessant provocations of daily life. How will a wife respond to her husband when he is passive or when he says or does something that is inconsiderate, when he is selfish, when he wasn't listening, when he doesn't communicate or plan well, when he doesn't serve, when he doesn't clean up after himself, when he doesn't provide the spiritual leadership that he should. How will a wife respond? Or how will a husband respond to his wife when she is negative and complaining, uh, nagging and needy, when she is irritable, when she's angry with the kids, when she's feeling cold toward him or rejects his advances, when she doesn't manage her time and priorities well, when she gives in to unruly emotions? How will a husband respond? It could be sin, it could be quirks and weaknesses. How will you respond when your spouse does something that bothers you, that tempts you, that hurts you? The incessant provocations of daily life. Tim Keller says he once counseled two women who were in very similar situations, uh, family situations in both families there was a teenage son who was doing poorly in school and was getting in trouble with the law. And in both situations, the moms rightly blamed their husbands because their husbands were too detached from parenting their sons. And Keller says that he gave both women the same advice, and it was this, to forgive their husbands. And he says one woman was able to forgive and communicate with her spouse in a winsome way and see changes in his life and in her son's. The other woman could not forgive, could not communicate except in harsh, alienating ways, and their family fell apart. See, it's one of the things about unforgiveness. Unforgiveness poisons marriage. When, when we act cold, to our spouse because of something they did or didn't do, or when we hold their wrongs over them, when we drag out the past as a weapon to use against them, 
when we speak with impatience and irritability, when we retaliate against them because we want them to know how it feels, when we belittle them, all of this not only sins against our spouse, but is also uh, harmful to ourselves and weakens our marriage and, most importantly, misses an opportunity to honor the Lord. Have you, have you realized this? Sin in marriage presents an opportunity, a God-ordained opportunity. You are going to sin against each other, and those are opportunities to display the love of Christ in marriage and to, in fact, deepen your closeness and your love in marriage. What if I told you, think about this, when you think about gospel-shaped marriage, I think this ought to be one of the very first things that we think of. What if I told you that one of the main reasons God brings a man and a woman together in marriage is to display his love in the form of mercy and forgiveness? That's, that's part of what he's doing in your marriage is a display of his mercy, a sharing of his mercy. And I believe it is one of the most beautiful and Christ-exalting qualities in a marriage to have a mercy that just covers a multitude of sins. If you are in a marriage situation in which you have opportunities, daily opportunities to extend mercy, could be far more opportunities than you wish you did have, what I want to say, brother or sister, is that you in fact ought to thank God for that because those are daily opportunities to honor the Lord. Winston Smith says the key to lasting change in marriage is learning to see the ordinary moments of life as extraordinary opportunities to embody the love of God. In moments of conflict, God brings opportunities to make his love visible in powerful and amazing ways. A willingness to admit and forgive sin is nothing less than the good news of God's forgiveness of sin being proclaimed through your marriage. That's what forgiveness is. No matter how large or small the offense, when we forgive, we are proclaiming the good news of God's forgiveness of sin. Now Matthew 18 drives this lesson home in a powerful way. Matthew 18 is one of the great texts on forgiveness in all of Scripture. It is in response to Jesus' teaching on forgiveness that Peter comes to Jesus for clarity, seeking clarity on the, the number of times we should extend forgiveness. It occurs to Peter, couldn't someone take advantage of this teaching on forgiveness? Isn't it wise to put a limit on forgiveness and in particular the number of times that we should forgive? It's interesting, in Judaism, someone could be forgiven three times for an offense, but that was the limit. So one, two, three, and then, you know, that's it. And so Peter, when he suggests as many as seven times, uh, he's being generous. Now, this would be considered uh, extreme to forgive as many as seven times. Jesus responds by saying that he wants his people, his disciples, to forgive 77 times. Uh, which is another way of saying he wants us to forgive without keeping count. It's not like you get to 78 and then they're done. You understand. One commentator said uh, the meaning is if you're still counting, you're not forgiving. 
Okay, so the, the, the emphasis is on a forgiveness here that, that is repeated. They did the same thing again and again and again and again. And here we see a forgiveness that is unlimited. To be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ means that we forgive the same person for the same sin again and again and again. I see that teaching as especially needed in marriage because there truly are specific sins. We all sin much every day. There truly are specific sins that we will all experience from our spouses dozens and even hundreds of times. And Jesus is calling us to forgiveness. What this means is that we let go of the resentment that is so natural to us, the, the, the sort of internal keeping score and using the sins and wrongs of others against them. Resentment is an interesting thing. It's one of the great enemies of forgiveness and it is a, a powerful and destructive and even attractive force in marriage. Did you know resentment can be really attractive to us? There's something desirable about it. Lewis Smead says this, resentment is bittersweet. If we did not cherish it, we would let it go. What sort of rewards do we get from resentment? Why do we keep score? He says, first, so this is what resentment does. It makes us feel superior to the person we resent. Also, we enjoy the feeling of hurt that the memory kindles. We feel noble and worthy as the decent person who was wrongly hurt. Resentments serve a double purpose. They give us treasured pain and they give us a chance to justify ourselves. Yet, he says, it depresses us, robs us of gratitude, and sneaks into other relationships. It stands as one of the great enemies of forgiveness. And Jesus says, no matter how many times you have been wronged, the way forward is to say no to resentment and to say yes to full and free forgiveness. If that seems like a really difficult teaching, that's because it is. But I thank God that Jesus himself teaches us, and not only that, he gives us his spirit to indwell us, to empower us, to do what he commands. There's nothing that God commands us that he does not also by his spirit empower us to do. And he, in his grace, empowers us to live a life of forgiveness. And Jesus goes on to give this parable that, that motivates our forgiveness, that helps us and instructs us and serves us in pursuing forgiveness in marriage. There was a man who owed a master, okay, 10,000 talents. That is, the commentators are funny at this point. It's like the, the one that I appreciate the most and think is true is who says it's like our zillions. Like this is probably more money that was even in the economy at this point. It is an incalculable debt billions of dollars today. It is an enormous and unpayable debt. Imagine millions and millions and billions and billions of dollars being owed. That's the situation he's in. And so we're told he could not pay. The servant in that moment, having owed this tremendous debt, falls on his knees 
and he is begging for mercy. We can imagine his tears. We can imagine the peril of his situation. He begs for mercy. He begs for patience. And shockingly, the master, we are told, released him and forgave him the debt. (laughs) It's incredible. And then that same servant goes out and there is a man who owes him a much smaller amount, maybe the equivalent of a few thousand dollars. And he seizes him, we're told, and begins choking him and says, pay what you owe. That man then pleads with him and begs, but to no avail, and the man puts him in prison. Now the master who forgave learns about this. He calls the man to himself and rebukes him. You wicked servant. I forgave you. I had mercy on you, and you should have had mercy and forgiven others. His conduct was shocking. His conduct was evil. He failed to forgive others when he himself had been forgiven so much. And so in anger, we're told, the master throws him in prison, representing eternal judgment. And Jesus says, verse 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. He's not teaching there that He's not saying anything we do can earn our forgiveness with God. The point is this, that God's forgiveness is transformative. That that God's forgiveness results in people who forgive. Forgiveness by God and forgiveness of others are linked. They are interconnected. They are interdependent because forgiven people forgive others. R.T. France says a community of the forgiven must be a forgiving community. And we could say a marriage of forgiven sinners must be a forgiving marriage. In the remaining time, I want us to look at just two different truths from this that do transform marriage. One is God's forgiveness of us, and the other is our forgiveness of others. First is God's forgiveness of us. This story that Jesus tells is intended to get us thinking about something very specific, not first and foremost the sins and the wrongs that have been done against us, but rather first and foremost our own sins against God. We are to think about the enormous, the unpayable debt we owe to God because of sin. We are to realize that we were in that same situation of owing God far more than we could ever pay And that we, like that man, could do nothing to help ourselves. We have sinned against God again and again. And God would be just to judge me immediately and swiftly for my sin with the eternal judgment that I deserve. And the reason we need to think about that a lot more than we do is because we naturally... Our minds and our hearts are naturally preoccupied with the sins of others. That's where we tend to go mentally. And we tend to be more preoccupied with the sins of others than we are our own sins. But brothers and sisters, our sins are many. And we sin much every day. And just like this man, there was absolutely nothing that we could do to help ourselves. No amount of good works, no amount of tears, no amount of church attendance, no amount of prayers could remove the debt of sin. 
But the whole good news of Christianity is that God has taken initiative, that God has freely forgiven all of our sin in Christ, who died as a substitute to cancel our debt and to set us free. We who were once in tremendous debt, owing what could not be paid, God has paid the debt. Christ has borne in his body the wrath that we deserve so that you will, in Christ, never be judged for any sin that you have ever committed. The debt has been removed. You have been forgiven. It is the, the staggering bounty of divine mercy. It is the, the wild generosity of the mercy and love of God to us. I'm, if we knew that mercy better, our, our relationships and marriages would just be transformed, profoundly transformed. Your great debt has been forgiven in Christ. It should make us feel like we've, like we've won the lottery every single day, o only far better because it's not luck. It is the unrelenting love of God set upon us every day of our lives. This forgiveness is the very heart of Christianity the gospel is a message of forgiveness. Paul says in Colossians 1, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And it's our own sins being forgiven that leads us to a life of forgiveness. And so it says in Colossians 3, 12 and 13, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. See, here's the, the principle that is embedded in this parable that Jesus tells. Each one of us has been forgiven far more than we will ever forgive. You have been forgiven far more than you will ever forgive. And once we understand that we have been forgiven, we become the most forgiving people in the world. That's the point of verse 33. Should you not have mercy as God had mercy on you? A forgiving marriage is based on a forgiving Savior. And that leads then to the second point, which is our forgiveness of others. This is the, the reason that Jesus is teaching on forgiveness is because this is the great mark of a disciple, of a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, is that we are a people of forgiveness. This is, in fact, what sets Christian marriage apart. We're just always forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven us. It is because we have received mercy from God that we are tender and gracious and merciful and forgiving in the face of repeated sin and weaknesses and mistakes. It ought to be that the hallmark of every Christian marriage is compassion and mercy. This is, in fact, the, the key to a strong marriage. You think about what makes a marriage strong. Well, it is the regular practice of free and full forgiveness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, In a word, live together in the forgiveness of your sins, for without it, no human fellowship, least of all a marriage, can survive. Your marriage won't survive without this. 
He says, don't insist on your rights. Don't blame each other. Don't judge or condemn each other. Don't find fault with each other. But accept each other as you are and forgive each other every day from the bottom of your hearts. Accept each other as you are. Do you know one of the, so because we just celebrate our anniversary, thinking about our wedding vows, and one of the most meaningful parts of those vows, we, we started our vows uh, with these words. I said to Megan, I, Jared, take you, Megan, just as you are to be and on. And she said to me, I, Megan, take you, Jared, just as you are. You know what that just as you are means? It means that even if you don't grow, even if you don't change, I take you as you are. God loves you as you are, and I am going to love you as you are, is a part of this call to forgiveness. Now, it's important to understand what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not excusing or minimizing sin. One of the things that can stand in the way of forgiveness is our confused ideas about it. We think that it means things that it actually doesn't mean. It is not excusing sin. It is not minimizing sin. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you look at sin and think, well, this isn't really that big of a deal. Uh, the way to, to cancel a debt is not pretending there is no debt. In fact, the debt needs to be clearly named. It needs to be clearly acknowledged in order for there to be genuine forgiveness. Also, forgiveness is not forgetting. God does not ask us to uh, pretend like certain things never happened. He does ask us to no longer relate to our spouse out of that. But that's different than forgetting. Sometimes we need to talk about the past or patterns of wrongdoing. But when we do that, it's never used as a weapon. It's never to be used to score points or to tear down or to win an argument. It is only to be done in love. Similarly, forgiveness is not incompatible with correction and with confrontation. Uh, forgiveness doesn't always mean that trust is restored or that all the relational consequences of sin are removed. What is forgiveness? Here it is, forgiveness is the costly and repeated decision to not hold someone's sins against them. Forgiveness is the costly and repeated decision to not hold someone's sins against them. It is costly. Some of you are, are feeling some of the resistance to forgive. It's costly. That's what you're feeling in that. Forgiveness, Keller talks about how forgiveness is a voluntary form of suffering. Because instead of retaliating as we justly could, we choose to forbear the cost ourselves. We absorb it. We, we cancel the debt. Forgiveness is a repeated decision. It doesn't say, I'll forgive you this time, but not if you do it again. In other words, it doesn't say, okay, this is a strike against you, and if I see you mess up one more time, you're going to be in big trouble. Forgiveness does not do that. Forgiveness fundamentally is not an emotion, it is a decision, it is a, a promise, which means you can forgive a person even if your, your emotions aren't fully there. You can say, I'm going to choose to relate to this person this way, even if my emotions are pushing against it. 
At the same time, forgiveness does involve an element of pity and compassion, or as verse 35 says, from your heart. So we do need soft hearts that are engaged in forgiveness. If you, if you have forgiven someone, you cannot remain cold and distant in your heart. You can't put them on probation. You can't uh, relate to them with a, with a sense that they owe you because of what they did. Forgiveness says, I am going to sympathize with you rather than be irritable with you, rather than allow your sin and your weakness to, to get under my skin. Because God has forgiven me, because God has been warm and tender to me in my sin, I am going to forgive you. I think a major category, I just want to give this with you as a help to take with you in your own marriages as you consider this theme of forgiveness, a category that marriages need to recover is overlooking an offense. Overlooking an offense, meaning, guess what? You don't need to bring up every offense because there's going to be a lot of offenses. And part of what love does is covers over those offenses. God has not called you to keep a file of things that need to change in your spouse. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger. It is his glory to overlook an offense. God loves people who overlook an offense. 1 Peter 4.8, love covers a multitude of sins. I think even if a spouse doesn't see the full extent of their sin, which in a sense, who of us does? Uh, maybe they haven't acknowledged wrong to you at all. You can still demonstrate a forgiving heart by refusing bitterness, by maintaining warmth, by being merciful. I do know, and it's why I have prayed that, I've prayed that the teaching of God's word would be accompanied by an outpouring of spiritual power because, because forgiveness is difficult. Every one of us knows the struggle, the wrestling with forgiving. And we forgive imperfect. Even in our forgiving, we need to be forgiven of our imperfect attempts at forgiveness. Our hearts resist this. But the reason that we feel a conflict in those moments is because God has put his spirit within us who is urging us and inviting us into the joy of forgiveness, who, who himself is calling us to greater mercy and compassion. Listen, the greatest challenge in forgiveness is not your spouse's sin, it is the enemy within. <laughs> the problem fundamentally is not that your spouse needs to change, it's that our hearts need to change to become more merciful, to become more forgiving. But Jesus has taught us the path of forgiveness. He has shown us the meaning of forgiveness. He himself has forgiven our sins and he has put his spirit within us to empower us as we walk this path of forgiveness. If you say, I will never be able to forgive him. I will never be able to forgive her. Well, friends, that is a denial of the power of God that is at work in you, that is producing this spirit of forgiveness in us here and now. He is able. He is at work in you. Some of you may be at the opposite end uh, thinking like, you know, I am crushing it at forgiveness. Um, I'm like the world's most, you know, merciful spouse. Perhaps you are. I think it would be good for you to get a second opinion on that from your spouse. <laughs> 
uh, to, to, to confirm that. Here's what I recommend. As a couple, have a conversation outside of a particular conflict, and men, you should lead the way in this. Have a conversation where you're talking about, is there anything that I tend to say or do that doesn't communicate forgiveness and love? How, am, how do I do in that? Whether it's my words or the absence of words, whether it's ways that I respond, are there things that I tend to do that don't communicate forgiveness and love? Do you live with a sense that I am forgiving you rather than holding things against you? And am I quick to confess my sins and ask for forgiveness? Um, one of the great marks of a healthy marriage is the confession of our own sin. There is a difference between uh, an apology and asking for forgiveness. If you haven't sinned, if you did something by accident, apologize for it. But if you have sinned, confess that and ask for forgiveness. And if you have never truly asked your spouse for forgiveness, or if it has been, you know, I'll say over a year, I would say start here. Start by asking for forgiveness because your spouse puts up with a lot of your sin and mess and we all have ways that our sin affects and is against our spouse and we ought to be it ought to be the rhythm of our lives that we are confessing our sin if you here's here's a pro tip if you see yourself accurately you will view your spouse as the most patient person in the world and you will thank god often for them being as patient with you as they are because we will realize that we require tremendous patience and forbearance. Let us be a people who are confessing our sins in marriage and a people who are forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. I want to close by sharing with you what John and Noel Piper call the compost pile. And I hope that you, this is a picture that you can take with you. Every strong marriage needs to have a compost pile. This is what Piper says. Picture your marriage as a grassy field. You enter it at the beginning full of hope and joy. You look out into the future and you see beautiful flowers and trees and rolling hills. And that beauty is what you see in each other. Your relationship is the field and the flowers and the rolling hills. But before long, you begin to step in cow pies. Some seasons of your marriage, they may seem to be everywhere. Late at night, they are especially prevalent. They are the sins and flaws and idiosyncrasies and weaknesses and annoying habits in you and in your spouse. You try to forgive them and endure them with grace. But they have a way of dominating the relationship. It may not even be true, but sometimes it feels like that's all there is, cow pies. He says, Noel and I have come to believe that the combination of forbearance and forgiveness leads to the creation of a compost pile. That's where you shovel the cow pies. You both look at each other and simply admit that there are a lot of cow pies. But you say to each other, you know, there is more to this relationship than cow pies. And we are losing sight of that because we keep focusing on these cow pies. Let's throw them all in the compost pile. When we have to, we will go there and smell it and feel bad and deal with it the best we can. And then we're going to walk away from that pile and set our eyes on the rest of the field. 
We will pick some favorite paths and hills that we know are not strewn with cow pies. And we will be thankful for the part of the field that is sweet. He says, our hands may be dirty and our backs may ache from all the shoveling. But one thing we know, we will not pitch our tent by the compost pile. We will only go there when we must. This is a gift of grace that we will give each other again and again and again because we are chosen and holy and loved. When your spouse falls short, you have a God-given opportunity for mercy and compassion. Take the many cow pies in your spouse and in you and leave them at the compost pile which we can only do because of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has forgiven us so abundantly. He has forgiven us, and so let us excel by the grace of God in forgiving one another in marriages for the glory of God.